The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the Word this morning. Now, I knew going into this, I'll let you in on a little uh, a pastoral secret. Resurrection Sunday is generally crowded, okay? The week after Resurrection Sunday, you'd think he went back in the tomb, right? You show, and it's almost like people got church out of the way, and so, so I know, I knew going into this, it's going to be a smaller group this morning. Sure enough, it is. But I have something in my heart that I want to see imparted today, and it was very specific that we do it today. And I believe that it's entirely on purpose for you and for me to catch this word. There's something absolutely necessary for us. So I want you to see yourself, no matter why you're here, I want you to come into this awareness just for me, just to humor me. I'm here because I'm a leader. And I'm meant to get what's being imparted today and lead with it. And I really want to trust God to do something great through the word this morning. Now, when we get into the scripture, we generally look for things to look forward to. Uh, because I know that listening to messages can be a bit tedious. Uh, I've got some bad news for you. I, I quit caffeine. I might be really boring this morning. I feel a little dry, you know. But what's funny is I have control of all of my members. I'm not trembling, shaking, or anything. It's a great thing. So it's a trade-off, right? In fact, I caught myself about day two into it. I realized, like, well, I quit caffeine, but now I'm really on to sugar. So what time does the donut shop close? So it's funny. We trade one thing for another. But I really did. I let go of caffeine. So if I sound a little dull this morning, you can just intercede from there. Father, help him. He's struggling. A few things we're going to find in the Word. I get excited about the Word. It's a light to our feet. We don't have to stumble around in darkness. The Word reveals what it is. It's the salvation of God to all who believe in it. Now, we mix up salvation and new birth all the time. I was born again once, but God has saved me a lot. He has bailed me out of more situations, more circumstances, not just mischief that I got myself into, but things that he designed and orchestrated to build my faith, to require me to trust in him and to watch him deliver me time and time and time again. The word of God is the power of God to save. Meaning if we don't celebrate, enjoy, and indulge the Word of God, we can miss out on God's victories and salvations in our life. And that sounds pretty crummy. Almost like kicking caffeine. Just miserable. So we're going to find a few things as we get into the Word. One, we're going to find out who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Now we let the Word speak for itself. So if we get to these things and you think, hey, that's weak tea, Pastor, just know we're looking to find out what the Word says about these things. Who Jesus is. Jesus is going to reveal who he is in our lives, a function that he has. Another thing that we're going to find is how to get love in your life. How many of you would like to get a little love in your life? Well, love is important. I mean, love is necessary. It's what identifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ our love for one another. If we don't have love in our life, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Love does magnificent things. I mean, in fact, the Scripture reveals in 1 John that God is love and that His perfect love, when perfected in us, drives out fear, meaning that we have an opportunity 
to become acquainted with who God is and have his perfect love in our life and live a life without any fear or anxiety. That's an amazing thing. So we're going to find out how to get some love in our life. It's actually a process. It's in the scripture. There's steps. And when you see those steps, I think it will become clear to us why we see in Christianity at large, just generally speaking, why there might be such an absence of love. You can't have step seven until you have step one. So we're also going to find another thing here in the Word. How to have, get this, righteousness, peace, and joy in your life and in your household. How awesome does that sound? I've got two little boys that are nine years old. I need peace in my house. The other day, I'm sitting on the couch and just in a moment of, of silence or meditation, whatever you want to call it, and I just hear, you know, th- 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 it's not uncommon to hear footprints, or it's not footprints, what do you hear? Steps, yeah. So you hear pat, 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 pat. But then I heard a different sound that was a little unusual. It was like, and I thought, he's flying. Because <laughs> there's no more footsteps. And I just hear the sound of air whooshing. And it was all just like a split second, you know, so pop, 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 and then. And then I heard a scream. And, you know, I really did it right this time. You know, I mean, I asked, are you okay? And, and what was funny was he was upset that I, w- he thought I was going to be upset. The reason why I thought I was going to be upset was because there was a hole in the sheetrock the size of his head. Because apparently when, when you know, he was head first right into the hall, and there's this hole now. And it's funny, you know, I mean, like, you know, some people mark the doorway. I'm just going to have different size holes for the size of their head and be like, well, here he is at age nine. You can see here he really grew up here by 12. So I'm going to be patching holes now. But righteousness, peace, and joy. I mean, these are things that we can sing about and we can talk about in church, but really the Scripture is meant to be instruction for us to actually achieve these things. And I love that. I just think that's awesome. And if anybody's going to get that right, why not us? Let's do it. All right, so we're going to get into the Word. Now, today's a little bit different. Normally, we use a a lot of different Scriptures. We're going to use a lot of Scripture, but we're going to look at more like long, broad passages. Okay, so keep in mind, I'm checked out of caffeine now, so you might have to engage me a little bit to keep us in it, because reading long things is not necessarily my strong suit, but we're going to get into John chapter 15. I told you we're going to find out who Jesus is, we're going to jump in right there. John chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. I want to give you time to get there, open up your apps, turn your pages... Now, what I'm looking for, what I'm believing that God's doing here, and if that changes, we'll just flow with it. But I I feel a series coming on that's going to lead us to that ultimate goal, love. I told you before how to get some love in your life, that there are steps to it. I believe we're going to be examining those steps. It'll be a series that we'll step into. But we're going to use this as a, a strong foundation because God's called us to be fruitful. He's called us to be so fruitful in our Christianity, within our marriage, within our family, within the workplace, just throughout the world in every aspect of living. We're meant to be prosperous. 
And he begins to reveal some things here to us through the words of Jesus, our King, His Son, right here, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and He reveals who He is. This is who Jesus is. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So He's revealing two people and two separate purposes, the vine and the vine dresser. Now, we don't grow a lot of vining plants here, but what He's revealing is that he is our source, our connection to all things nourishing. Like if I were to say root, you would understand that. Without a root, the plant dies. Well, that vine is no different. If you were looking at grapes that were vining, if you cut off the vine at the base, nothing beyond that base is going to thrive. It won't get any nutrients. Jesus is revealing something to us. He's our connection to all heavenly nutrition. He's our connection to all of God's power. He's our connection to all heavenly authority. He's our connection to every aspect of the kingdom of God. Outside of that connection, there's absolutely no access to the things of heaven. He is the vine. He is that cord that ties us to the source that makes the provision to produce the fruit. I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. He goes on to say, every branch that is in me. Now, I want to pause there. We're going to pause a lot. But did you catch what he just said? Every branch that is in me. He didn't say all the other branches that aren't in me. But every branch that is in me, every branch that is connected to me, the vine, that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser takes it away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more. Now this can explain a lot in our lives. How many of you think, based on what we read there, without explaining it or breaking down, have you ever felt pruned before? Yeah, we got hands going up. Let me explain pruning. I enjoy gardening a little bit. Now, one of the things that's tough for me to grow here in Texas is good, big, juicy tomatoes. I can grow the little ones, and I've kind of conceded. All I'm growing now is the little ones. You want to know why? It's not because I can't grow the big ones. It's the birds. They come and they peck my tomatoes. I put an owl out, fake owl, on a pole with a rotating head like this. <laughs> they poop on it <laughs> with an attitude. Here's what I think of your owl, buddy. Keep growing those tomatoes. But I grew these tomato plants, and they were huge. Oh, they took all of my resources. I had to water them more than any other plant. They consumed more than anything else. They were massive. They were so big, so lush, so green, but there was no fruit. They just grew. They took over. They were mammoth. And when I put them in, they were so small. They were really pretty to look at. But they didn't produce anything of any nutrition. They didn't produce anything of any value. Now, Jesus is addressing this issue in a Christian's life. We can come to the point where we're planted, <clears throat> we're watered, but then everything that we're producing is all for us. It's just show. Look how big I am. Look how many leaves I have. How many people do you feed? Nobody, but I'm huge. How much nourishment do you provide? Nothing. But watch the wind blow my leaves. So what God does is he prunes those branches. Because what happens when those plants are getting big and they're not producing? They're putting all of the provision into the wrong thing. 
They're putting all of their provision into getting bigger. All of their provision into putting on bigger, more lush leaves. All of their provision is going into vanity. So what pruning does is it cuts those things away. Now, I don't think the plant can feel pain, but I do know that the plant is losing things. Things are being cut off. Things that were once valued and nurtured and they grew are being removed because they're just distractions. And what you're left with after pruning is a plant that's not near as pretty as it once was. But now it's efficient. And all of the nutrients that it's taking in, it will now put toward the things that do matter. It begins to produce fruit. God's doing this in our lives. Jesus is the vine. We can be plugged into Jesus and not be fruitful. That means we'll be cut off. But when we are fruitful, God steps in and begins to prune things in our lives. That means we get smarter. It means we just get revelation, become aware. That's wasteful. So I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to devote that over here. We begin to get more efficient with the provisions that we have. And we begin to get a much better return. We begin to produce things that make provision and that nourish. And that does something. We're going to see what that does here when Jesus is done talking. So Jesus reveals this thing. Now in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I want to stop there real quick. We can't be fruitful outside of Jesus. There's not a program, there's not a system, there's nothing that we can, can create by men that will be heavenly fruitful without Jesus Christ. He is that sole connection to all of the authority, all of the power, all of the provision of heaven, and outside of him, we cannot establish, build, or maintain his kingdom. Now verse 5, he reveals again, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch that dries up. They gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, verse uh, not 8 here, excuse me, is where we see what fruit does. It reads like this. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's the fruitfulness in our life that glorifies God. If we were all in the garden and we were all tomato plants, God's not interested in us that are big and bushy with lots of leaves but no fruit. He would rather that ratty, beat down, cut up, trimmed up, pruned down bush over here that's covered in luscious red tomatoes be our portion than the one that's so beautiful and gorgeous but doesn't produce. I remember one time as a kid, I love agriculture. I grew up around it, even though I grew up in the city. And then immediately after high school, began pursuing farming. And I remember once as a kid, I was with my uncle, and he had had his own farm, and he was functioning in it, and he would worked very hard to have a crop sown. And it was a, a crop that had just come up. It wasn't very big. And you could see things in the horizon. It's a wonderful, amazing place to farm. We live in an interesting part of the country. Because of where the Rocky Mountains are and because of where the Gulf of Mexico is, you can see this collision of air masses, cold and hot. You get wonderful storms. 
I used to watch those storms form. I would sit in the tractor and just all day long, you'd watch it roll in and get bigger and stronger, bigger, stronger, and then boom, it would hit. And you would hear thunder that would just roll across the plains. It was really incredible. And one of these days, I'm with my uncle. His crop has got a good stand. Everyone's very excited because they're seeing a harvest to come. And on the horizon, you begin to see a little white. As the day goes by, you can feel there's moisture in the air. That warm air from the Gulf is coming up, and it's going to collide with that cold air off the Rockies. We're about to have a storm. And sure enough, you watch it build. You begin to hear a rumble from a distance, and you know it's coming. can't stop it. Builds bigger and bigger. Before you know it, it's just mid-afternoon, but it's getting dark. And then the first drops come down. They come down hard. They're big. And what's different about this rain is it's really, really cold. And the next thing you know, you're hearing the pitter-patter on the tin of the truck overhead. And it just begins to change into clink, 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 click, 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 click. It's no longer rain, but it's hail. And we're watching across this field where his crop has a great stand. And I remember the look on his face as he was watching everything that he had worked for just get pummeled. And it came down for a long time. So much so when you just glanced and looked. If you didn't know better, you'd think it had snowed. The entire ground was blanketed. Because the temperatures outside and the ground temperature were so high, it didn't last very long. So just hours later, it's melted and gone. There's no evidence except for the shredded crop left in the field. And I remember going out with them to examine the crop. It was a bizarre thing because I'm observing and I don't have any investment in this crop. I just know I love this guy and he's poured himself into it. He gets out of his truck and by himself just walks further than I would out into the field and he just kneels and begins to examine the plants. He comes back to the truck and when he gets back to the truck he gets in and he shuts the door and I'm expecting him to be emotional, frustrated, disappointed, maybe even angry. And I said, what do you think? It's going to be all right. He said, just watch. It's not going to be pretty, but that's going to produce. It's not going to be pretty, but that's going to produce. And sure enough, as the season progressed, you watch those plants come up. All of their initial growth had been virtually destroyed, tattered. What was meant to be a large, broad leaf were these just ragtag, shredded bits that were flowing in the wind. Ugliest field in the county. But boy, did it produce. Because through all of that, that plant got efficient. It stopped putting its resources into the things that didn't produce, the things that didn't matter, the vanity. And it started putting its resources into all the things that did. And God's doing these things in our lives. He's putting us in positions where we can feel like we're being pummeled, where we can feel like we're being beat down and beaten back. But what's going on is God's pruning us. He's bringing us to a place where we realize what matters and what doesn't matter. And there's so many things that we pour our time and our resources in that in the end don't matter one bit. 
And God's setting us free from in the end looking back and having massive regrets. He's putting us in a place where we can become efficient. We can take all the resources of His kingdom, the time that He's given us, all of the resources that He's provided us with, His Spirit, the blood of Jesus, the authority of His kingdom, the power of the Holy Ghost, and we can begin to put those things into what matters. We can begin to stop honoring ourselves with those things and begin to set others free with those things. He's pruning us so that we can bear much fruit. And when we bear much fruit, He's glorified. There's something awesome there in verse 7. I want to jump back to verse 7. Look at this. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What an amazing thing for Jesus to write us a blank check. But look at how perfect the condition is that opens that up. Abiding in Him and His Word abiding in us. If those two conditions are met, it is impossible for us to be selfish. If those two conditions are met, it's impossible for us to take such wonderful liberty, have such an empowered uh, thing placed in our hands and use it for our own selfishness or abuse it in any way, shape, or form. And we become so committed to hearing a salvation message where we invite Jesus into our hearts, where we hear that he will abide in us. It's really interesting to hear Jesus flip that throughout this script and let us know that if we abide in him, if we abide in him, I think that's something we ought to examine. I have no problem wrapping around my, or wrapping my mind around the idea that, that Jesus Christ could come and abide in me I'm born again. There were things that I used to do that I don't do anymore, even though I tried for years to not do them. He came into my life and things were transformed. But then here's something that he's saying now. Instead of him saying, hey, invite me in. Hey, invite me in. Hey, invite me in. He's saying, hey, abide in me. Now that you are born again, abide in me. Now that I abide in you, how about you abide in me? Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. I want to give you a verse for your notes. It's out of John chapter 15, but it's verses 16 and 17. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you. Those are awesome things to consider, to be chosen and to be appointed. Now, in my home, we say something. Oftentimes, it's been said to my conviction. What you choose is what you love. There are times I've not chosen the right thing. When I should choose my wife, when I should choose my children, I've chosen other things. And that is uh, to my detriment. It should call me to repentance, to respond. But one of the things that we've realized is the importance of our choices. To make a choice is an, uh, a powerful thing. Even by definition to choose, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, it would mean to select what is preferred. If I were to offer you two choices of cupcakes, now everyone's paying attention, right? Cupcakes. You say cupcakes? Chocolate or vanilla? You would choose one of them. And you would choose the one that you preferred. So when Jesus is saying, I chose you, he's revealing something awesome. What you choose is what you love. And He's revealing His love and His affection for us. He chose.
to be our king. He chose to lay down his life in response to God's instruction. He has made this magnificent manifestation and revelation of God's love by revealing to us, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And to come into that understanding that we're preferred, you're preferred, you're preferred, you two are preferred, you're preferred, to come into that understanding should shatter inferiority, insecurity, fear, and anxiety. God had a choice, and he chose me. It's empowering. So he's saying, I chose you, and then he adds something to that. I chose you, and I appointed you. To appoint, to set into an office or a position. But it also means something else. We don't really talk like this. How many of you watch fancy movies? Okay, nobody really knows what I'm talking about. I have probably seen the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice 20 times. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to be like a million times. It's a long movie, too. So it's a fancy movie. They probably talk like this in that fancy film. Appointed. If somebody were to walk into this room and they liked the banners and the seats and the lights, they would say, this is a very tastefully appointed room. It means it has been furnished well, equipped well. You've been appointed. God has equipped you very well. He's chosen you, and now he has equipped you very well for the thing to come. And here's the thing to come. He's chosen you, and he has equipped you or appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, here's another thing. We're going to see this again. This is a little bit of a common theme here between what we were reading and what we're reading now. He chose you. He equipped you so that you would go bear fruit. Your fruit would remain so that. Can I get a so that? Yeah, see, this is important. All of that has a reason. His choosing you has a reason. His equipping you has a reason. His appointing you, sending you out to bear fruit has a reason. So that. Here comes the reason. So that. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. This is my command to you that you love one another. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? My concern is in a lot of church circles, we preach that backwards. We talk about God giving you what you ask for, but we don't talk about the process that God's designed to position us to be void of selfishness and ambition and manipulation and all the other nasty garbage that exists carnally. But that place that we can come to where we're plugged into Jesus, not pouring the resources of his kingdom into vanity, but into fruitfulness, productivity. I really believe in this vision to see a church where the tithes and offerings actually go to ministry and not to pay bills. Isn't that awesome? I mean, how great would that be? And I know God's bringing it into existence. So Jesus goes on to say this, and I think this is important for us to catch. In verse 9, now we're back in John 15. You have to flip back. You don't have to flip far. You might just have to scoot up a few verses. John chapter 15, we're, we're here now in verse 9. Jesus has revealed that he's the vine. Outside of him, we can't be fruitful. We've got to be plugged into him. And that God's pruning us. He's taken away all of the stuff that doesn't matter. He's making us more efficient, more productive in what does matter. 
And now here's verse 9. I think verse 9 ought to be on our refrigerators, maybe a bumper sticker or two, a bracelet or a T-shirt. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. That just as thing is, I think, what hangs us up. Because of perceived inferiorities or deceptions from the devil that we've bought into, that we're unworthy. God's choosing us is what makes us worthy. That He would select you. That He would then appoint you, equip you to be fruitful. Give you everything you need to produce. That love is an amazing thing. Have you ever wondered why God loves you? I want to give you a verse here. A passage of scripture that you can write down. And I'm not building a doctrine off of it. I'm just giving you a scripture that I think is really interesting. Does that intrigue you at all? Okay. For your notes, John chapter 16, verse 27. John 16, verse 27. For the Father Himself loves you. Who? You. For the Father Himself loves you because, well, here comes the cause, you have loved me and have believed that I come from the Father. Isn't that awesome? It's a nice because, isn't it? So, you know, we grow up singing songs like Jesus loves me, this I know. And I think that's a great one. I think we ought to sing it as adults. Don't think it's just a kid's song. But we can come to this where we realize, I love Jesus. I really do. I love that he has laid down his life for me. I love that he's given up everything so that he could empty himself, become a man, and take on sin and sickness and the curse upon the cross, conquer the grave, bring the keys to death out, and set me free. I love him. And he's done all of that for us. And because of that love and that affection that we can have poured into our hearts through all that he's done for us, we can see something happen. According to the scripture there, God loves us because we love Jesus. Now here comes the hard part of loving Jesus. It's not just the warm and fuzzies, it's how we live our lives. It's not just the idea that we could appreciate someone sacrificing for us. But when Jesus begins to speak of love, He begins to speak of following His words. The one that loves me is the one that will keep my commandment. There's something in this that we should catch today, that we need to be a fruitful people. It's going to involve abiding in Jesus rather than being content that Jesus abides in us. Jesus entered into my life and I'll never be the same, but now He's calling me to enter into His life. To step into the Word of God. To let that be the foundation beneath my feet. The surroundings that affect what I see and what I hear. And then have an impact on what I say and what I do. I have invited them into my life, but now he's inviting us to abide in him, be plugged in to him, so that all of the authority and the power of heaven can flow through the vine, out through the branches, and we can produce. 
Now, I want to read verse 10 out of John 15. John 15, verse 1, verse 10. This is how Jesus completes this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Did you see just as again? If you ever had a problem thinking that you're just like Jesus, read that. He's giving us an instruction to do the same thing he did. Keep my commandments and abide in my love just as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he reveals the result or the purpose of all of this in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, you could just sit on this one little area of text and have your whole life turned upside down. Coming into an awareness that we're called to be fruitful, that God's pruning us, that the majority of the things that we're wanting to say are the devil are really God, making us more efficient, bringing us to a place where we don't care about the things that don't matter. And there's a lot of things that don't matter. And we become focused on the things that do. And we become productive as believers. And we're able to actually abide in Jesus Christ according to what he said there, abide in his love by keeping his commandments. That's really why staying in the word is important. It's not some religious uh, requirement or some empty act of religion. But it's meant for us to step into who he is. He is the word of God. And as we abide in Him, fruitfulness is the result. I want to watch the time here, but I want to get into this next part. This is what I believe is going to be necessary for us to catch as we move forward. Being fruitful, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. It's another area of Scripture. We're going to read through this one much quicker. Second Peter chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I would just like to stop there for a second. I think it's important that we understand what granted means because we don't use that word a lot. We do use it, but not a lot. It's to give. It's to give. So something has been given to us The divine power has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who was called to his glory and excellencies. I want to break that down really quick before we move forward. We're going to move through the rest of it very quickly. God's given us everything that we need. He's done something really awesome in each one of us. As he's plugged us into the vine, as he's plugged us into Jesus... He's given us access to absolutely everything to bring into existence these things. Life and godliness. Life and godliness. 
I'm plugged into Jesus Christ in all that I need, everything that is in heaven that brings life and godliness into earth, I have access to. But then here's the purpose, and I think it's important that we catch this purpose. Now, I'm not sure how many Bibles we have opened up or how many different translations, but I'd be curious to know what some different translations say. So I'm going to ask that you follow me in reading this, and when we get to a specific word, I'm going to be curious what word your Bible says, okay? So just follow along with me. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us... What's that next word? You have by? Anybody have two? You have two. What do you read? Okay. Well, we're looking for that next word after us. Okay. So by and to. Now, these are two very different things, okay? If I'm saying that Jesus Christ has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness to call you by versus call you to his own glory and his excellencies, there's a big difference between those two things. One is saying that his glory and his excellencies are what did it. The other is saying that his glory and his excellence is what he did. He either called you by it, meaning he has that in him and that's what he used to call you into these things, or it means he called you into those things and that's what he gave you. And now there's been those that have translated the scripture that had a hard time putting us on the same plane as Jesus Christ. We've got to break that barrier. God's made us just like Jesus. You're holy, that's the power of the blood. Holy justified, that's the power of the blood. And you're empowered with the same Holy Ghost that came and rested and remained upon Jesus in the Jordan River. And when this is being translated, there's a wrestling match. Well, we can't say that he's called us to his excellencies because he's so much higher than us. So let's say he called us by them. Well, this is going to be a stumbling block for everyone as they receive the scripture. It's a limitation. I want to give you the translation that we ought to use. It's the literal translation and it's right. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellencies. One of these is going to leave me as a believer. If I buy into buy, I'm going to be left as I'm inferior. If I can accept to, I can understand that God is elevating my life out of everything that is carnal and all that is excellent in his kingdom. He's called us to his glory and his excellencies. Now I want to move quickly through the rest of this. So do your best, please, to follow along. For by these he granted to us precious and magnificent promises. Boy, I'd hate to miss out on precious and magnificent promises. And that's what by will do. Now, two is a whole other story. If we can accept two, we can come into a place where we become those who are pursuing and receiving precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. You ever seen that before? God's calling you into his nature. That's what godliness would mean. 
it doesn't just mean you're an all right guy. It means God's making us like him. We were originally made in his image after his likeness. That work is being perfected through Jesus Christ in each one of us. We're called to be partakers of the divine nature. Man, the next time you ever have a single little itsy bitsy, even if it's the smallest inferior thought about yourself, you just remind that thought, hey, hey, I'm a partaker in the divine nature. Doesn't that sound cool? Yeah, it does. The rest of that verse is awesome. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world by its lust. Now I want to read, and we're going to begin to close. Verse 5. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence in your faith to supply, one, moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, two, knowledge. And in your knowledge, Three, self-control. And in your self-control, four, perseverance. And your perseverance, five, godliness. And in your godliness, six, brotherly kindness or brotherly love. And in your brotherly kindness or your brotherly love, seven, love. There's your steps to love right there. Now, don't you think we're going to have Christianity void of love in our current day society if step one to get to love is moral excellence. Moral excellence is under attack. Morality in general is under attack. You have compromise across the board. And one denomination after the next giving way to pressures and political pressures to be politically correct and try to be relevant to a culture and a society when we're not meant to be relevant to a culture or society. Have you ever noticed that Jesus stood and he spoke and when he got done he was like, if you got that, good. If you had ears to hear, great. He wasn't trying to be relevant. We're in a place where we're not meant to make people feel comfortable. We're meant to reveal the conviction of the Holy Ghost in a loving and gentle way. And by the way, repentance doesn't come through harsh actions, harsh words, or abuse of authority. The Scripture says repentance comes from kindness. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We're meant to establish the kingdom of God, to speak of the kingdom of God, uncompromising. Step one, we're meant to walk in moral excellence. When we walk in moral excellence, step two, we can function in knowledge, true knowledge of the scripture, uncorrupted. When we're operating in true knowledge of the scripture, uncorrupted, we can then have self-control. We're no longer led by our impulses or led by what the world is saying. When we come into that state of having self-control, we can have perseverance, meaning we can endure hardship. We can endure persecution. And when we have that perseverance, we can then function and live in godliness. And then isn't it interesting that out of godliness, you would think that would be the finish line, right? What better than to be godly? But godliness then produces brotherly love. It's the reason why we're trying so hard to center things around fellowship. Because brotherly love is a necessity. And then that brotherly love has the wonderful power and authority to produce a fruit. A fruit that casts out fear. A fruit that is perfect and perfects the believer. A fruit that is the very identity of God himself. Love. I want to go through these steps together. I want to talk about moral excellence. So that we can achieve moral excellence. 
And then I want to talk about knowledge so that we can pursue knowledge in all of its right ways. I want to talk about the self-control and the perseverance and all the things that lead us to love because our ultimate goal is to get to know God more, to be affected and impacted by His love more and be the most fruitful people on the planet. I'm going to finish reading here and we're going to close. After these steps are given that ultimately lead to love, these are the next statements. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful. Remember, we're talking about being fruitful. When we get these qualities in our lives, there's no way we can be unfruitful. When we operate in these steps to love, it is inevitable that we will become a fruitful people. It goes on to say in verse 9, the one that lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot his purification from former sins. Well, let me ask you a question real quick. Can you forget your purification from former sins if you've never been forgiven of former sins? He's talking about Christians. People that have been forgiven can lose sight of these things that are so necessary. Moral excellence, true knowledge, self-control, perseverance. All of those things that lead us to love, which is the ultimate goal. We can be believers and sit in church all of our lives. We can go to every prayer meeting, every seminar, every conference, and we can miss it. Being blind and short-sighted. But then he goes on to say this, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, those things that we talked about there, get this, are you ready for this? You're going to want to catch this. As long as you practice those things, you will never stumble. How awesome is that? I want those things. I want those things for me. I want those things for my sons. I want those things for my wife. I want those things for you. So that we become fruitful and just see one victory after the next. And then here's something that's really awesome. Get this next passage. I joke sometimes, you know, when I was a kid, there were maps in the back of my Bible and I would always look for the kingdom of God. I never found it. But here's this, put these things to practice. Start with moral excellence. Work your way to love. Put these things into practice and you'll never stumble. Now verse 11, for in this way is entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and it will abundantly be supplied to you. We'll get in the kingdom. Not one day, not at judgment day, well, you made the cut. Congratulations, you're not a goat, you're a sheep. But right here and right now, functioning and operating in all of the kingdom of heaven, all because we're plugged in to the vine. We are surrendered to the vine dresser to be pruned. If it doesn't produce, cut it off because I'm just not interested. Because we're called to be fruitful. We're called to be productive. I told you before we're going to find how to have that righteousness and that peace and that joy. Remember, all of these things are what grant us entry into the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. I want to tell you what the kingdom of God is. Take this down for your notes, Romans 14, 17. 
Romans 14, 17 reveals what the kingdom of God consists of, what it exists in. If we're granted entry into the kingdom of God by putting to practice those things that begin with moral excellence, if we're granted entry into the kingdom of God, these are the things that we're granted entry into. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So as we see the kingdom of God in our homes, you're going to see righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. As we see the kingdom of God in the workplace, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. As we see the kingdom of God in us, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as we see the kingdom of God in us, you see the kingdom of God in the congregation. The congregation is made up of us. As we're affected and impacted individually, we come together and we're affected and impacted together. It's the way you see things change and transform. Cities don't change. People change. Nations don't change. People change. Churches don't change. People change. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.